Welcome to Mariner Monday. I'm your host, Brandon Boyd, and in today's episode, we'll talk about the 9-2 and two Seattle Mariners and break down their flaws, both in the short term and coming down the pipeline. We'll also accuse Jerry DePoto of lying and of cheating at trivia on his own podcast. Big swings only here. Uh, please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast, and better yet, refer us to a friend and make us their preferred niche Mariners podcast destination. Enjoy this week's episode. Is the thing with the M's where we're only good when we conduct basically baseball blood magic, where we have really good teams, get rid of all the good players, and then then we're awesome? I, it must be something like that because I remember the the uh, insemination of this podcast. It's like everything that we have to say turns out to be the exact opposite. We used to call this podcast uh, something about how Nelson refused to it? cruise. Something about how Nelson Cruz was bad. What yeah. was it called? Refused to cruise. Refused to cruise, and then Nelson Cruz became like <laughs> the most celebrated free agent in yeah. our franchise's history. So everything that we think is actually going to be the case with the Mariners turns out to be the exact opposite. Yeah, and it can't be that we're dumb. It just has to be that we just have some sort of cosmic pull like that. I think it's the I think it's the Mariners thing. Like they just can't play to expectations. Every year that they're supposed to be good, they find a way to squander it at the end. And maybe now that they're at bad, they'll find a way to be good. I don't know. <laughs> I'll give you a chance here, and I'll I'll tell you that this is not recorded, but it actually is to uh, to maybe use a different word other than insemination of this podcast. What what would the word be? <laughs> Inception, maybe. Inception would be good, but it is the. I mean, I maybe it's got a, a bad connotation to it, but the insemination <laughs> is kind of what it was. Yeah, I mean, I'm just looking at one of the core parts of the word insemination and wondering where, <laughs> wondering where that plays into any of this. Gets but, your mind out of the gutter. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that was that was, that was a, an awesome time way back in the day when drinking Coors Lights in uh, in Packer Hall talking about the M's and probably before either of us were ever thinking about launch angle or or uh, you know yeah it was a simpler time back then <laughs> it really was it really was um, but uh, the M's are nine and two man and this is this is cool we did we did this last week and it felt felt good and now it's like. We gotta stay calm because uh, the more this happens, how many more weeks of this before? <laughs> I don't know. Let me ask you, how many more weeks of this before we're starting to be like, oh my god, maybe this is actually real? Two, maybe. Yeah, I would say by the end of April, if we're still thinking like we're still where we are now, I'm gonna start thinking this is a real team and not just a, a hot start. Right. Yeah. I mean, if they are, gosh, fifteen and five. By the end of the month, then then, that's, we, then that's we got real. something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we'll talk about in a bit here uh, what what the M's have to do in case they um, in case this does get real and and you know kind of have to readjust things if if there's a, a potential playoff push here. Um, but uh, get us started here talking a little war because um, not only have the M's exceeded their early expectations, uh, they have already, some of the individual players have almost exceeded their entire season expectations. So I'm pulling up, um, the zips projection. We talked about zips in our series preview about how they take, um, a number of factors and, and extrapolate them over a year mm -hmm. and get, uh, to a war for the guys that on the team. I just want to read off uh, a couple of guys that come out right off the bat. How much war do you think Tim Beckham was projected for at the start of the year? 
one win. He was projected for 0.9 wins. Yeah. Right now, Tim Beckham as so if Tim Beckham got a season-ending injury right now, he would have overplayed his value <laughs> according to Zips. He is at 1.1 war, which is second in the whole MLB just behind Mike Trout in 11 games. In 11 games of the season. And then uh, and, yeah, keep going. Uh, let's go Domingo Santana. He was projected for 1.6 war. Right now, 11 games in, he's at 0.8 war. So, Daniel Vogelbach, projected for 1.3 war, already in the season, 0.7 war. So, a lot of these guys are over halfway to their whole season projections, 11 games into the season. Which leads me to my next question. Uh, Is Domingo Santana going to be taking some MVP votes away from Tim Beckham, and is that going to be a problem in the clubhouse? I certainly hope that they, (laughs) you know, that they find a way when they're both, you know, in the triple crown hunt to just <laughs> siphon votes to each other uh-huh. and, and play nice. Yeah, this is uh, this is weird, and you know we can kind of act as. Uh, I mean, we're, we're going to be real about this and, and not overreact, but some of this is small sample size theater, and some of this is real legitimate things going forward. And we'll try and parse those out um, as we go through. Yeah, here. some things like um, your walk rate and your um, strikeout rate and like your swing rates at pitches outside and inside the zone those actually stabilize fairly quickly within like two, three weeks of the season. So we're already seeing real trends happening with the team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And we'll, we'll keep track of, of some things going forward to see uh, if this stuff is real or if we are just in a, in a weird simulation right now. Um, but let's, let's start. This is not a, a happy tone, but starting about the defense uh, with this Mariners team, they have 16 errors leading the league. Uh, Tim Beckham had three errors in the first inning on Friday's game or Saturday's game. I forget. Um, but it's okay though, because he said, it's on me. It won't happen again. Uh, and I believe him. I don't think Tim Beckham will have three errors in the first inning again. Do you? <laughs> I certainly <laughs> hope not. I have a quick stump JDS question for you. A trivia right off the bat. I love it. Okay. There have been three players in the last three years that have all, that have committed three errors. No, three, 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 three players in the last three years that have committed three errors in one inning. All three of them are Mariners. <laughs> Now, you know two of them. Yeah, Dylan Moore um, being Tim, the other one. Yeah, Tim Beckham and Dylan Moore. Do you uh, remember who the last one was? Can you give me the position? Shortstop. Is it Segura? Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. In 2017 versus the Yankees, he committed three errors in one inning as well. Damn. So yeah. the last three guys to do that have all been Mariners. Have all been Mariners infielders. That's that's incredible. Yeah. Um, it, I think it, it, you know, behind the behind the center or behind home plate area at uh, at T-Mobile Park, almost at Safeco, uh, they should have a, a wing dedicated to those three guys of of their prowess. Yeah, I mean, it's it's it was startling. I mean, I've watched baseball my whole life. I'm 25 years old. I probably remember watching baseball since I was about seven or eight, and I pretty can confidently say that this iteration of the Mariners until they get Seager back in what capacity they get Seager back. I don't know, but this infield defense, I won't, I won't put it on the outfield yet. Cause they've been deep decent, but the infield defense, including catcher is the worst <laughs> defense I've ever seen out of a major league roster. And, and I'm not using hyperbole there. And they're nine and two. So yeah, I mean, yeah. they've, they've concocted this perfect recipe of like, uh, they are the old, uh, like ABA team that gives up 150 points a game, but damn it, they're scoring 160. Um, and that's kind of this nice little thing. We talked about different ways that you can make a team ex- exciting outside of having, you know, stars or brand name guys. It was uh, like your Tony Roten example last week. Exactly. How can we make this team inter- interesting. Exactly. But still, 
you know, accomplish our long-term goals. Yeah, we're just a home run mashing, base stealing, you know, extra base getting, weird uh, phone celebration, hat flying off, bunch of Have bunch you figured of out what the phone celebration is yet? Nope, nope. It'll, it'll be the... I, I like to keep it a mystery. It'll be the subject of some Ryan Divish think piece at some point soon, so we'll, we'll stay tuned on that. But, um, yeah, so the defense is really bad, and uh, they've gone two straight games without errors and despite that are still leading the league in errors with 16 um but my question to you is you know you've got errors and you have fielding percentage it's kind of a two-part question a what stats should someone else someone look for to kind of round out their perception of fielding um but then b how much do those even matter beyond errors and fielding percentage so, yeah, that's a good question, and I think that errors don't tell the full story mm-hmm. of just how bad the Mariners have been on defense this year, <laughs> believe it or worse. not. Yeah, yeah. Um, because errors only take into account the plays that they have gotten to and bobbled or flubbed in some way. It doesn't take into account balls that have been hit through holes yep. that average or above average defenders would be able to get to at a higher rate of success, right? Mm-hmm. So that's where this term uzr or ultimate zone rating comes into play and basically what that takes is it takes the stat cast data of all the balls over the last 10 years that they've had data and looks at balls with similar profiles same launch angle same exit velocity you know just just very similar profiles same location hit on the field and they see how many times those balls have gone for outs or base hits or extra base hits or whatever and then it prescribes a percentage of each time that that ball has been fielded cleanly for an out. Let's say a ball is a 50-50 ball and the Mariner doesn't get to it. Then what they do is they ding that Mariner 50% of however much runs was however many runs were created as a result of that hit. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, so, so, so with that, yeah, that's ultimately what ultimate zone rating is. And the Mariners so far this year have one player. Do you want to guess who that one player is who's above average in an ultimate zone rating sense? Is it D. Gordon? Yeah, absolutely. That is who it is, which is surprising to think that Hanager, Santana, and Malik Smith have all been graded out negatively in that capacity. But is, I mean, is there an ultimate uh, saving home runs and turning them into doubles? rating because Malik, Malik he needs to get a tight okay he needs to get a tighter glove and a tighter hat i know or he would a tighter have, helmet he would, these things wouldn't happen to him if he just got things that fit him appropriately Malik smith has two center field robberies that he got back into the field of play uh but he couldn't actually come down with as as uh as grabs which is incredible that like like that's something that would in like game 160 we should notice the fact that that's happened uh twice in 11 games is is crazy he needs to get just a little bit more uh, vertical on his jump. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's it is interesting though with with Smith, the the knock on him was defense, and I think what you're talking about with the error is that Smith has the athletic ability to get to any ball, and that's probably what the M's were thinking with him is that he could round into this better fielder, um, but he's not quite the uh, the uh as as consistent or reliable as as they would want him to be out there and and in center field his arm is pretty bad which <clears throat> is not it. a good place to have a bad arm because you're making a lot of throws into the infield from right, center right exactly um but yeah like despite all this like we said 92 and the text you sent me is that if we had a semi-competent bullpen this team would legitimately be 11 and 0 right now 
I don't uh, see how you can make any argument that they wouldn't be 11-0. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, the two games that, they, that they've lost have been absolute shellackings uh, at the hand of the bullpen. So, yeah, that's that's uh, that's a really interesting thing and, and kind of um, I just I, I'm out of words to talk about how surprised I am of, of the, the strength of this offense. How is Corey Guerin allowed to still be a pitcher? <laughs> I mean, I understand if he was bad and he was, like, at least fast, but he takes 36 seconds per pitch. I, I just can't I can't do it with him. I have to turn the channel off when, when I see him in the game. I'll have some words for, for Cody Guerin later in the show, but let's move on to our second out, which is uh, the Daniel Vogelbach dilemma, which, uh, again, sounds like a psychology case study. Um, but Daniel Vogelbach, uh, the shape of that man is really fascinating to me. He, You know, like the Grey Poupon mustard jars? <laughs> <laughs> he looks like... <laughs> He looks His like that. Body, yeah. yeah, he looks exactly like that. Just very stout, but has like this kind of upperness to him. Um, rotund is like the best word. To, like you look up rotund <laughs> in the dictionary, there's a picture of him there. He is phenomenal, uh, and and he can really freaking hit. Uh, he had a bases clearing double and a dinger on Sunday uh, to bring him up to an OPS of one point nine seven nine to go along with six ribbies in that day. Small sample size, Barry Bonds. My question for you is, is Daniel Vogelbach the stack cast version of Bucky Jacobson? Like he's a darling, <laughs> in what sense? He's a darling in well, terms I feel, of like how he, yeah, his peripherals look? I feel like if Bucky Jacobson came along today, he would be, his powers would be channeled a little bit better than they were. Obviously, totally. in, injury, I think Bucky injuries Jacobson got to Bucky. Bucky thrived in like today's environment because teams like realize the value with guys like that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So the thing with Vogelbach was that last year he was iced out of a lineup spot because there was no designated hitter role for him with Nelson Cruz there and Ryan Healy was playing first. Um, and then this year, despite, you know, his another year in the minor leagues, which he did very well. Um, and his clear success this season, he's still kind of iced out of a spot with the Edwin Encarnacion and and, uh, and Jay Bruce kind of log jam at first and DH, three guys for two spots, essentially. Uh, mm-hmm. This is this is a tough thing for the M's to work out because you got to get Vogelbach at bats. That is that much is very clear. Uh, but at the same time, Encarnacion and Bruce have potential value for you as trade chips. And so right. you have to that get them at bats too. You summed it up perfectly. Like you have to give, Jay Bruce and Edwin and Encarnacion at bats if you're hoping to do what your preseason plan was, which was to ship them off at the deadline. They're, no one's going to want them if they've been sitting ice cold on a bench for uh, three months. But at the same time, Vogelbach needs to get his at bats too. So there, I don't know how uh, efficient DePoto was in organizing that section of his roster. But when Kyle Seeger comes back, you're just going to see even more of a crunch because then Ryan Healy's going to enter that mix as a first base DH again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the the Jay Bruce acquisition makes a little bit of sense in that regard, given that uh, he he came as the other chip in the in the way that the Mets were going to make this happen, taking on Robinson Cano's salary. We had to take a little bit of of Jay Bruce's as well. The Encarnacion add to he came as through the Phillies trade. Am I right? Yeah, well, he came in through, uh, ipso facto, he came in through the Phillies trade because we got Carlos Santana for Gene Segura, and then Carlos Santana was traded to Cleveland for right. Encarnacion. Right, exactly. So whether it was Santana or Encarnacion, we were going to have uh, yeah. this type of player, a first baseman exactly. DH at that at that spot, which is interesting, and that one doesn't seem as, you know, they, they could have they flipped Santana for a different type of position player, but that might have been impossible. Um, so yeah, it's this weird management thing going forward 
where you got to balance out all three of these guys at bats. But in the short term, it feels like Encarnacion and Bruce are going to win out so that you can get them get them moved by July. Right. And what I would like to see is Jay Bruce is capable of playing a passable right field. I would like to see him go out into the field once a week, uh, which I think they're doing actually tonight, if I saw the lineup correctly. He goes out into the field once a week, gives Hanniger or Malik Smith or Domingo Santana a day off, mm-hmm. and then you can get all three of those bats into the lineup, Jay Bruce, Encarnacion, and Vogelbach. Yeah, definitely. And this is this is hard enough now. Um, and as Scott Service said, he's he said that, you know, wh- whatever I do – my teammates are going to hate me, which sounds just like a disgruntled dad. <laughs> uh, or my, no, my teammates. My damned players. if you didn't, damned if you don't. Yeah. He's like, I, I can't win. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out for ice cream. Um, <laughs> so Scott Service is, is in a little bit of a pickle here in terms of, of these daily lineups. Obviously, you play the matchups and, and, and so forth. But um, this is hard enough now. But when Kyle Seeger comes back, this is going to get even more complicated, given that you have Ryan, Ryan Healy uh, uh, and Carnacion. Bruce and Vogelback, assuming that they're all hitting as well as they are now, are close. Yeah, so let me pose that hypothetical to yeah. you. What happens to Vogelbach and Healy? Because Bruce and Encarnacion, I'm pretty sure those guys are going to be in the lineup. But what happens to those guys if they continue to rake and then Kyle Seeger comes back? Well, it's 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 kind of this catch-22 of like you know healthy competition right that that's a good thing that you know you you get these guys opportunities to 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 win this job mm-hmm. and and you know maybe of those four Jay Bruce and Carnacion Healy and Vogelbach Vogelbach is the clear winner because he's the youngest and he has the most upside going forward um but all these guys are raking like like <laughs> Ryan Healy right. Ryan Healy is an essential part of this lineup um at this point and, and I just want to throw one cautionary thing in there too we saw what a lack of at bats did to Domingo Santana in in uh, yep, Milwaukee. Exactly. So you you don't want to get guys who you just have to stick them on the bench three times a week, four times a week, and then you know that can ruin their rhythm. Yeah, exactly. And when they come in, it's in a pressure situation, and they're mm-hmm. not given the the full license there um, because they think, oh, if I go over three today, I'm back on the bench for another two weeks. Exactly. It's not a good situation. So. We are in a little bit of a roster crunch right now. Yeah, yeah, it's this, you know, it, it might be this thing where you take, you you know, with Kyle Seager, you have him take his time getting back, which is also a nice thing that that isn't a rushed situation. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's it's uh, it's it's a pickle, and it's it's nice now because you can make it work, but um, like you said, as soon as Seager comes back, it's going to be going to be extra difficult. And I will throw even one more twist under there. What happens if J.P. Crawford starts tearing the cover off the ball in Tacoma, and he has to come up and play short and then Tim Beckham it keeps tearing the cover off the ball in, in Seattle obviously these are all good things we want to happen yeah. but then he has to slide over to third and then you just add another guy into that first mm-hmm. base third base DH mix right yeah and and I think the answer there is probably that you take the JP Crawford doing anything at a high level as a nice thing and just keep him in Tacoma and give him that that full you know like we're saying of uh, he's never really had that full triple A season mm-hmm. um, to develop. It's always been in these, you know, kind of, oh, he's he's looking like a bust role in Philly. And so if you give him that full license of just, you know, go be a star in Tacoma, we'll figure it out next year. Um, that might be a little bit better. Uh, but yeah, it's, 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 these are all, you know, rich people problems and, and good problems to have, but they're good problems to have, but there is concern if it's managed incorrectly that you yes. can really do a lot of damage to the players. Yeah, exactly. So um, I guess the, the easiest solution to this would be to 
uh, really hope like hell that Encarnacion and Jay Bruce just continue to uh, to show immense value and become become trade targets um, mm-hmm. sooner rather than later. Um, the guy who who would make those trades for those guys is Jerry Depoto, general manager right now, who has got to just I mean his he has got to just be beaming every time he walks around the uh, the. <laughs> He's got to feel like he's the smartest guy in the world right now with all the players that he's gotten that have panned out. If he didn't already, but he um, he made some comments that were interesting, um, uh, not not so much on their face, but in terms of what they mean going forward. To ESPN 710, he said, uh, if we get down to July and we're in this thing, I think we've shown we're a pretty aggressive group. We're also pretty creative, I think. My hope is we've been able to address some needs on this club and give this group as much of a chance as we can for them to win as many games as they can without taking away from our long-term projection. Because we have restocked the farm, we are so excited a lot of the prospects that we have coming, and we're not going to take away from that for one shot at a wild card. But we're not going to ignore it either. To me, that just reads, we're going to let this thing play out and and not not force it one way or the other um, to, to, be a, to become a buyer just for the sake of, of reaching a playoff spot. That's how I read it too. And I think he's going to continue to do like some of that, like uh, sculpting of the roster around the edge. Like mm-hmm. he, like the Tom Murphy deal or, you know, uh, getting another piece in the bullpen, but nothing major. Um, do you want to talk really quickly about what he said on his wheelhouse podcast though, about not sacrificing yeah. the long term? Yes. Yeah, so because I thought that, yeah, we need to talk about that because <laughs> I thought that was totally not true at all yeah we were talking pre-show about this of of how in a lot of ways Jerry Depoto doubled down on what he said on 710 on his wheelhouse podcast with Aaron Goldsmith um great show by the way as much crap as we give them but um he uh he said that that the Mariners have never knowingly given up on young talent to get better in the short term and the example he gave as the uh the like kind of point but not really was the was the chris taylor trade to los angeles um did, did chris taylor go to los angeles or did that did they pick him up i think they traded him to los angeles for a guy that you know is no longer in yeah. the Mariners system. they traded him for scraps but either way something that obviously worked out much better than for for la as they got a young young player who worked out very well for them and so that was that was depoto's uh thing about knowingly if they didn't consider chris taylor this long-term piece so they gave up on him um, but you right, heard, but you heard then, that statement and then you, yeah. you, you smell something. There's, there's, there's plenty of examples of him knowingly leveraging the future for short-term success too. Uh, the one I brought up was Luis Gohara, um, who was a, a, a very like well-regarded, um, pitching piece in the organization. And he was pretty close to the majors at that point. And they gave him up for Drew Smiley and, uh, I think Malik Smith was in that deal. I can't yep. remember the specifics of the deal, but that was a, a very clear example of a guy who they were targeting for a short-term push and kind of throwing the the long-term uh, plans kind of out the or by the wayside. And you don't get to be the lowest-ranked uh, farm system in the MLB, which the Mariners were for two consecutive years, by almost every outlet without doing some of that. So I don't think what he was saying was very truthful or very honest because he did leverage a lot of the future. And maybe that was a management issue where, or an ownership issue where they said, hey, I want you to go win now. And he didn't really want to do it, but he did do it at the same time. So he, I don't think he's blameless in in the way that the farm system had shaped up in previous years. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where you can just say that and and 
you know, if, if a prospect does work out, you, you basically say, uh, you know, we, we didn't see it. And that's something that, that happens a lot, right? It's it, one man's mm-hmm. trash, another man's treasure. The, the, no, like the Arizona didn't see it with Mitch Hanniger. Exactly. And like JP Crawford and, and so on and so forth. Um, but yeah, you, you, you know, you, you, uh, you traded, uh, Tyler O'Neill, who was at one point, one of your best prospects to go at Marco Gonzalez, who is also a, a somewhat of a prospect or like a phase two prospect in, in his own right. Um, and then as you said, I like go- that terminology. Yeah. He is like a phase two prospect kind of post shine. Post yeah. Type. The same way you'd yeah. call like you say Kikuchi of, of that type of prospect, same thing. Um, but you know what, what, if, if that's true, what was, uh, going to get Alex Colmay and Denard Span last year? Like these moves happen a lot. You don't have to say that you haven't done them before. It's just this year, the circumstances are different. You have a, a, a plan that you have to stick to a little bit differently. Um, so, so I guess it begs the question of like, if this team is in full contention and is one piece away and, you know, obviously is going to need bullpen help, um, you know, come mid July, what are they going to do? You know, I mean, this, 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 what if, what if this season ends up being complete fool's gold? But, you know, I just think we'll know a lot more about what this team actually is by then. And also um, what their opinion of their internal prospects are by that point as well. Right. I guess my, I'll answer your question with uh, another question here, which I've seemed to be doing a lot, but it's, it's a good question. How many games either, ahead or behind the wild card at the trade deadline would the Mariners have to be for you to say, okay, I'm comfortable with them starting to sell off a little bit of, of the, of the future for, for, for gains now. I don't think they should do anything. I, I, I mean, I I agree. (laughs) Even if they're 10 games up, I don't think they should do anything. Yeah. Like if this team finishes exactly as well as it did last year, 88 and 74, and misses the playoffs. However, it happens, whether it's dramatically or or not, would anyone be upset given what this roster is is given how young this roster is and given the prospects going forward? I think that that would just be almost House like, money. Yeah, exactly. Almost like when the Seahawks uh, in 2012 kind of came on the scene, and you know they lost to Atlanta, but it's like mm, we're going to be really freaking good next year. Um, yeah, like I I can see the I can see the painting starting come into focus exactly so i i I just worry that you know he's gonna flip-flop and he's gonna start getting pressure from ownership like hey we're in this thing i want this guy and this guy now you know and that's just such a bad way to look at baseball especially for like a short that's the thing i always think about with these trade deadline acquisitions is what's the best case scenario when you're giving up a piece from the future you get a guy who's worth maybe gonna put you two wins above where you were going to be previously. And you might be giving up a guy who's going to have a career worth 20 or 30 wins, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's the risk reward on these like short term moves is really not, it's tipped in the scale of the seller for sure. Yeah. I think that, you know, this is a, everybody stay calm. Let's, let's remember uh, what the original plan was and remember why the original Mm -hmm. plan was put in place. Um, But it does, it does kind of, you know, set up well of, of what DePoto was, was projecting, uh, with with uh, you know the summer of 2020 being this kind of peak time, um, so you know we're we're a year ahead of schedule as it looks right now. But uh, 11 games into a season, a lot can change. Obviously, uh, let's get a little bit smarter. We'll talk about the idea of stealing bases because today there was an article, um, a, a, a Sportsnet article, so in Canada, um, with Ricky Henderson as the feature piece, who is a coach mm-hmm. with the Oakland A's now. Um, and Ricky Anderson was a prolific base dealer for the Blue Jays back then, which is why he was he was featured in this piece. 
Uh, but Ricky had some interesting things to say about uh, about the, the role of base stealing in the analytics era, um, including a great quote talking about launch angle, which we spoke about last week, uh, when he said... <laughs> What is, so see, we're starting to build up our vocabulary. Uh, yeah, like, exactly. Everyone's everyone's using like all these new terminologies. You really need to kind of understand all these things to understand because everything in baseball is interconnected. Yep. You need to understand every facet of the game to understand any facet of the game at all. Totally. So Ricky Henderson's quote when he said, uh, "What does what does launch angle really be?" You know, and and that that depth of question um, is incredible and in 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 very quintessentially Ricky Henderson. Um, when he asked that, but the, the point being that Ricky Anderson is, is, you know, there's just this incredibly prolific base dealer, stole over a hundred bases for the, for the Blue Jays back in the day. Um, we'll never, ever even see anything close to that. Um, and that yeah, is, that'll never be touched again unless something dramatic changes in the way the game's played. Yeah. And that is to, you know, Ricky Anderson was saying that the, the uh, the whole reason that base stealing doesn't happen as much as it did or as it used to is that there's just too much information now that dictates whether a guy should go. It's all based off of how quick the 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 ball gets to home plate and then the catcher's arm strength, and that's that's the only two things that matter. Um, in addition to a player's speed, obviously, as to how they can figure that out. Some people would argue that that's unfortunate that the you know base stealing that made Ricky Henderson Ricky Henderson. Um, is going to make players less unique. Um, yeah, and it's a fun play. It's a fun play to watch. Oh, it's awesome. And it, and it does have merit when it's successful. Um, but where do you stand on that? So the I we talked about this a little bit last week with the launch angle thing I, and how we don't really love the way the aesthetic of the game is kind of going where it's home runs and walks and strikeouts, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. So with this launch angle thing, it, it kind of got me thinking, what's one of the main reasons guys try to steal bases is to stay out of a double play, right? Yeah. With a launch, with now everyone trying to put the ball in the air, double plays are not happening as often. So it makes even less sense than it would even in a vacuum to steal, mm-hmm. right? Right. So that's one of the issues. And then the other issue, you're right, is like the information symmetry that we have now where everyone knows everything down to like the nanosecond of how successful you're going to be to steal the base. So I get why the the front offices are, are telling their managers don't steal bases anymore unless you have over an 80 percent chance of swiping the bag, because then at that point you you have crested over when it becomes uh, help to the team instead of a instead of a hindrance. Mm-hmm. But like I said, it's it's just one of those things where. I think the analytical revolution is making the game a little bit less fun to watch, which is a shame. Yeah. So the, uh, the piece that was in there, there was the, the one statistical element. I mean, there's the whole thing is based off of statistical elements, but, uh, the one that was cited was how if a runner is on first with, uh, with no outs in, in a given inning, that runner has a percent chance of, of scoring, uh, like 80% or something like that. If they, mm-hmm. if they steal a base... Yeah, their expected value, their expected <clears throat> run value. Yeah, exactly. If they steal a base, it goes up to, to closer to, to one, so it's in the 90s. But if they if they try and steal that base and now it's... And, they, and they're unsuccessful and there's one out, nobody on, that number goes down to about 50% of them catch uh, scoring a run. So the... the right, the, so you're getting less of a gain bingo. than you are getting and, a, a negative. And when you think of it that way... Right, you know, we talk about how all this is connected. Very serendipitous that uh, I think it was two or three weeks ago we were we were listening to Ian Kinsler talk about how baseball is becoming a game of blackjack. 
Um, yeah. And he was upset with that. And those were his words for describing how, um, you know, we, we've arbitrarily in his mind decided that 30 year olds can't hit um, and therefore they're out of jobs. And here we are again with that same element. And, you know, it's it's becoming a colder, colder sport and more science than art, if that makes sense. It absolutely makes sense. The game, I mean, the game, how I used to like listen to on the radio with Niehaus and all these guys was why was, you know, if you would ask Dave Niehaus, why did this pitcher go uh, on a do a 2-0 changeup um, to like the number three hitter? You know, you're never supposed to do that. But why did he do it in that specific instance? It would more he his answer would be, well, he just felt it. He could feel that this was the right time to make this pitch in this specific inning in this specific context. Whereas now, if you ask an analytics guy, why did he, the same exact question? Why did he go to a two zero changeup? The answer will be, well, you look at this guy's heat map and you look at how he hits performs on this pitch at this time, mm-hmm. and it's all data driven. So it's become less of a feel sport and more of a numbers sport, which isn't a bad thing. It's just a different thing. Yeah, exactly. And and like I was saying earlier and kind of alluding to is that uh, the individuality of, of players is is starting. It, it's it's not going away because you still have elements like, you know, Edwin, Edwin Encarnacion after home runs has a parrot on his on his arm <laughs> as he's hitting that. Like it's fun. You still have human beings performing these these tasks that kind of are uh you know becoming more and more similar but it's just the way that they're doing them and performing is is becoming more and more uh robotic because the information is there that this is the way that you should do it based off of you know uh, basically odds well you see it in basketball too right you see guys now it's three pointers and layups Mm -hmm. yeah so i mean it's not a baseball specific ailment but it does make sports a little less enjoyable at their heart because sports are entertainment right and you even if something doesn't make perfect analytical sense it can still be very fun to watch yeah i mean the seahawks are a perfect example of that of people losing their minds um you know analytics twitter losing their minds that they're the seahawks are so committed to the run game uh but meanwhile you have Pete carroll who, who has made his entire career off the run game um, mm-hmm. And so it's just kind of this two two way street that um, yes information is there but the uh, the the battle that you're seeing in between those um, those two factions you know you kind of have to respect why one camp feels that way is because yeah this is one of those debates where I totally totally sympathize with both sides and I can see yeah. why both sides feel the way they do yeah I mean you saw with Ricky Henderson he's like you know this is the way that they're teaching it now and yeah that information's there and it makes sense but. Um, you know, I, in, in his mind, he could allow guys to steal way more bases if they had any sort of intuition, um, like he did, and he was allowed to play with intuition. Um, but that, that is being removed because the data says that basically F your intuition. Right. Yeah. Yeah, Because that's the whole, like the whole money ball thing is like your intuition is inherently flawed. Yeah. Right. Right. Which is, you know, at the end of the day, true and will always be true, but that doesn't make it unfortunate. Um, By the way, regards. speaking of that, I looked up the word insemination, and you're absolutely right. I should not have used <laughs> that word there. Uh, yeah, um, because the only time I've ever heard that word is with the word artificial at the front of it. Um, so. Yeah, yeah, and that, that gives you yeah that gives you the image <laughs> of, of something that's not baseball related. Yeah, so you can you can issue your public apology next week. Um, I will do that. Uh, let's uh, let's pay the bills a little bit. 
Uh, my parents were, were enjoyed their anniversary dinner, 27 years for them uh, at, at Carmine's on Thursday. Sounds like they had a good time. Sounds like uh, my mom hit her two-drink limit. Yeah, I want I, I want them to get on the podcast <laughs> to pay the bills for me because I think they, from what I could tell, they were just having a great time. The restaurant was like packed and they were just like loving the atmosphere. I showed them around everywhere into the kitchen and all of that. Your mom had like a nice, like I was saying on last week's episode, your mom had a steak, your dad had pasta. It's got something for everyone there. So I'm really happy with the way things have turned out there. And I'm glad that your parents got to... Uh, enjoy the, the the scenery with me on that specific night yeah thank you very much for uh for for giving them the vip treatment let me guess uh my dad had a martini am i right no your dad had like a smith and wesson which is like Whoa. a craft cocktail well my mom always gets smith and wessons because they're like oh maybe that was your mom's drink yeah okay, i think your dad did have a martini okay yeah there we go yeah okay they're, they're true to form they're creatures of habit yeah. as you know <laughs> different restaurant but but uh you know same, same I trusty steed they're running. Smith and Wesson is like a very like obscure cocktail. It's uh, it's Kahlua cream. Man, I've seen it made hundreds of times, but is I, it vodka? No. Eh, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, what I know. It's delicious. I, I do know that. Uh, very very sweet, but but very good. Um, yeah. So so what's what's new this week? I mean, do you got like a summer lineup coming up, or what's what's in the uh, the test kitchen? Well, right now, actually, April is like kind of our quiet time. April is always the quiet time in the restaurants because it's tax season and a lot of our clients are into that whole into realm paying of, taxes. Yeah, <laughs> realm of like doing business that way. But um, we do. So right now, what we do to like drum up a little business, we don't do any restaurant week stuff, but every April we do do um, specials uh, like special pricing on bottles of wine at Intermezzo. So if you're in, if you're a deal hunter and you still want a great experience right now, go down to Intermezzo because we have lots of good deals on wine, cocktail, food, etc. Absolutely. Hell yeah. Love it. Um, hit Intermezzo up on your way to the stadium um, down there in, in Pike place. Uh, Pi- no, Pioneer Square. I'm that removed. Pioneer Square, but I'm close that, to Pike Place. If I'm you're by Pike Place, it's an easy walk. I'm that removed from from Seattle that I that I forgot the two or the difference between the two. Shame on me. Um, all right, that's uh, really... Kahlua vodka, light cream, <laughs> and Pepsi. By the way. Oh, really? I didn't know there's yeah. Coke in it. Yeah, hmm. that's what this says at least. Huh. I'll have to double check with uh, with Mama on that one. Yeah. Um, really interesting segue that I'm forgetting my Se- oh, Seattle roots, and then we're gonna go to a around the league segment. Uh, where I talk about the Red Sox. Um, so yeah, let's talk about that. Yeah, so the Red Sox are terrible. Um, they are three and eight. Um, they are last in AL in the American League in run differential per game. Uh, I was gonna say, not only are they three and eight, their run differential is really bad. And if you if the listeners remember to like the Pythagorean um, uh, analysis, that's where you get run or where run differential comes into play. Yeah, run differential is essentially the reason the Mariners didn't make the playoffs last year, despite being uh, great for several months. Um, mm-hmm. So they uh, they just re-signed a broken Chris Sale, um, whose velocity has just gone way down, um, and is uh, his career and I mean his he, he will be fine. He will pitch several several more years. He, I don't know if he will be fine. I don't want to like ring the alarm bell two weeks into the season, but I remember this exact same thing happening with Felix. And everyone in the media poo-pooed it and said, oh, it's no big deal. He's just getting back into form. And then Felix never got back into form. Sometimes guys' arms just go when they have a lot of mileage on them. Yeah, especially his. I mean, his is shaped like, uh, you know, two two garden rakes attached to each other. And, and Yeah, and uh, he's 
got a weird mechanical thing going on. I don't know. I don't know about him. Yeah. So I mean, they but which is all you know interesting, but they knew all this and saw that even despite getting the last out in the World Series last year, he was not even close to form. Um, mm-hmm. And he always fades down the stretch. Right. I mean, he, you know, there's a, there's a lot to Chris Sale and. You know, the the theory out there is he might become a good opener or maybe move to the bullpen at some point. Um, all of this is fine. You can make it work with Chris Sale, but they just, just signed him right before the season starts. Yeah, if you have to move him to the bullpen, oh my God, you're losing a lot of value yeah, off that contract. Yeah, it was a very, very strange thing. Um, and then their other big contract situation that they have to manage is this Mookie Betts situation. And I was talking to a guy at work uh, who's a Red Sox fan, and, and he was as soon as I said that, you know, do you think they, they resign him? And he said, you know, just no, there's, there's that, that amount of money that he will be owed um, given the Red Sox, you know, long-term prospects, not being, not looking great that they probably won't do it. And to me, that was interesting. And um, it kind of, you know, you looked at what the angels are doing. The angels obviously are, you know, have to be on the rise with, with their talent coming. Um, but they didn't. Hope hes- so, but, yeah. <laughs> yeah. but they didn't hesitate with Trout, despite you know not having nearly the amount of success with him as the the Red Sox have had with Mookie Betts. So uh, I I don't know where you stand on that. Of is it just a an obvious thing that if you have a guy like Mookie Betts in house, you should you just need to retain, or is it a situation with Harper where at a certain point money is too much? I think that's exact. I mean, I don't think there's any player in the major leagues where you can just say no matter what you have to retain this guy. The context of the situation has to be right. You can't just retain guys for the sake of making your fans happy you have to do what makes baseball sense too and if 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 Mookie's gonna want a trout-like contract and the Red Sox don't think he's worth a trout-like contract just like Harper wanted a huge mega deal and the and the National said you know we don't think you're worth it you, you just got to go with with how much value you think they're going to provide in excess of their contract so I don't think they're going to sign Mookie I think Mookie's going yeah, which is it? You know, it, it's just interesting that the conversation we just had was about um, signing guys for that don't make baseball sense with Chris Sale, and then you know, and then you give Xander Bogarts a contract who, you know, before last season had kind of not been a a uh, anything close to a sure thing, um, and then all of a sudden that changes and you give him a seven year deal. So if you take those two contracts away and you say, okay, we we don't give that to Xander Bogarts, we don't give that uh, to Chris Sale then it makes a lot more sense that you would go out and get a guy like Mookie Betts. Um, but, you know, it's it's just – it's how a team chooses to spend money. What's – I got to ask you, what's the pulse of the pulse of the Red Sox nation right now? Is the is the heart beating a little fast? It doesn't take much, I will say that. Um, they, uh, they had – I think it was after Chris Sale's first start. Dan, Dan Shaughnessy is a columnist in the Boston Globe, pretty famous for – just being an opinion generator and and uh, a, a lightning rod in the city, um, and the, I, you know the article that it was after their first game, it was after after the Mariners torched him. Actually, he said, "What's wrong? Mm-hmm. What's wrong with Chris Sale?" <laughs> and or in like, the first game, yeah. So I mean it, that it doesn't take a whole lot, but I mean everything that we've said about Sale is true, and that's been known since last year. Um, and I was also given the contract status um, that it, it's a little more high alarm, but. Uh, yeah, I mean, people Real are... Real quick uh, before we move on yeah. from uh, around the league, I, I have the Yankees-Astros game on mute right now on my TV, and I just want to say how sad it is because they're pulling away from the Yankees-Astros game to to watch Chris uh, Chris Davis bat against the Oakland A's. 
uh, you know, Chris streak. Davis of the Baltimore Orioles because yeah. he's about to break a record for the longest streak without a hit in Major League history. So it's like must-watch television. They have to pull away from the the really good game to go watch Chris <laughs> Davis hit. God, yeah. I mean, that's that's unfortunate. Um, yeah. That yeah. I mean, Chris Davis is going to be an interesting case just for. Yeah, I, I remember when he broke in and he was, you know, he got paid. He was a star for what he could do and now it's just the complete opposite but also That's still has the it... risk of, of those big contracts you see chris davis albert pujols felix even seager to some extent every time you you sign one of those you're you might as well be handcuffing your job to that guy so gms are hesitant to do such a thing uh, unless you're the gm of the phillies um and then you pay bryce harper a ton of money um over a long period of time you want to talk about the phillies and what they what they have done to to build this roster yeah, I think I'm just going to go really quickly on them because we're, you know, we got to get to other stuff. But I really like the way they they organize their lineup. The thing that caught my eye is they put one of their best hitters eighth, one of their best on-base percentage guys, the guy who looks at a lot of balls and can walk a lot because they know that the ninth – I don't see a lot of teams doing this. They know that the guy who's hitting ninth is the pitcher, so they're going to pitch around the, the guy in the eight hole. So they put a guy in there who has a really strong knowledge of the plate and can recognize balls and strikes really easily. And I just don't – I always see teams putting, like, their worst hitter eighth, which makes no sense to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially in the National League. But, yeah, it's been – it is has been fun with uh, even the M's putting D. Gordon ninth as you have that double leadoff effect, um, you know, you know, especially with the speed of him and him and Smith. <clears throat> yeah, that, that, that was just something that caught my eye that I thought was worth mentioning. Yeah, I like it. Um, let's, uh, let's step back for a second and talk about Logan Gilbert's um, who was the 14th overall pick by the Mariners last June, but it feels like he was picked five years ago and has just been completely forgotten. It does. Forgotten. He's one of those guys who feels like it's been a long time in the organization, even though it hasn't been. So he gets drafted last year in June, and then the Mariners shut him down in July for the rest of the season after he right. got he got mono. Did you ever get mono? I did in college. It was horrible. Oh, wow. Yeah, I never got mono. Um, everyone else was getting mono for like, you know, kissing and all that and i said i just that's why i'm gonna abstain from from girls is because i just don't want to get mono right i don't know if it was from <laughs> kissing or if it was from like sharing beers but i definitely got it in in college and it's not a fun thing and also he was um he was just ridden into the ground by his team stetson mm-hmm. uh because they were making a push in the uh for the college world series uh, and, and his velocity was way down because they were just like riding this guy. They were making him go nine innings, poor guy, even though he probably had no, nothing left in the tank. So I think the Mariners thought it would be better. Hey, with the illness and with the way his arm is, is right now, let's just shut him down and, and start him up next year. So, uh, yeah, Stetson, which produced Corey Kluber and Jacob deGrom. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, so Gilbert, basically the first time we see him is this spring training gets absolutely shelled in a couple of appearances there. Um, but he just had a, a really, really nice start in his first start in uh, in Single A West Virginia. Um, and I, to you, I ask: um, Is this what, what's the deal with Gilbert? And how does a guy, having a guy like Gilbert relate to your concept of ten stop? I mean, he is a pitching prospect. I'm just going to put that out there right now. However, the one thing that gives me hope about him is he is a college pitching prospect, so he has less of a gap to bridge than a guy out of high school. I mean, I, 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 if I was a GM, my one hard and fast rule would be to never draft a high school pitcher. Mm -hmm. You just see it over and over again with these guys who don't have proper mechanics and are throwing maybe 97, 98, but they blow their arms out every single time. We just saw it with Sam Carlson, who's another 
top pitching prospect in the Mariners system. Really highly regarded. The Mariners got him in the second round. Everyone thought it was a steal that they got him in the second round because there was signability concerns that he wanted a lot of money, and if he wasn't going to get a lot of money, he was just going to go to college. He was playing that game. But the Mariners ponied up for him. He threw hard. He had good breaking stuff, but he had bad mechanics, and now he's on the shelf with Tommy John surgery. Uh, I, I like Gilbert a little bit more because he feels like he's a safer bet. He does, He's not a flamethrower. He throws like 92 to 95, and he has really good off-speed stuff. So I, if there ever was such a thing as a safer end of a pitching prospect, he would be he would be it. Yeah, so I, I, I like this idea that, that um, there's – that he is involved in this wave because it feels like a lot of the wave is, is offensive um, of guys coming up. So having Gilbert as part of that um, is really nice. And also that he's kind of ahead of the game because he was a college prospect and um, a little bit older. So it fits well. He's not, he's three or four years or two or three years younger than, than justice Sheffield. Um, but is, is definitely a part of the M's plans going forward. Um, and weirdly enough, in their first starts, Eric Swanson had a beautiful first start. Justice Sheffield got rocked, so you just never know with these kind of things. It's very early. Justin Dunn had a nice start as well. Um, is he in Double A Jackson? Yeah, he's in Double A. Yeah, it's uh, not Double A Jackson anymore. It's Double A Arkansas now. Good God! Yeah, they, I, they changed affiliates. I I still kind of I feel like it used to be Double A San Antonio way back it when. It was. Yeah, they change affiliates like every two or three years. It's weird. Yeah, it is weird. Uh, I don't think that would necessarily be an easy process, but um, but yeah, Gilbert another eye to keep or guy to keep an eye out on. It's just funny that we've done what five of these step backs and haven't talked about the first overall pick or their yeah, first round exactly. pick. Yeah, exactly. It does feel like he's the forgotten man. Yeah, from from last year, um, they traded the second round pick Josh Towers to go get Chet Long, so um, he is kind of the the centerpiece of of last year's draft class. Mm-hmm. Ex Mariner of the week, who do you got? I am going to go. Has anyone done Cano yet? Uh, no. Yeah, I'm going to go with Cano. He's had a really nice start to the season, and I know two or three years from now we're going to be really happy that he's not on the team and that we don't have that massive contract. But he, right when we said it in our series preview, this guy still has a lot of value, okay? He's not like a Chris Davis where you just, like, have to hope and pray that, you know, maybe he turns a corner, figures something out. Robinson Cano is still a very, very good major league player, and I'm glad that he is back at home in New York and is still producing and not in the AL. And uh, to go with that, Edwin Diaz, who has not given up a run in five appearances yet for the Mets, so – um and, f- and four saves for him so he's he's right back where he was last season um so that that could be one that everybody wins um yeah except yeah jay really bruce is playing well and we got two nice prospects out of the deal swarzak's playing well yeah yeah so i'll, I'll take it uh yeah. one one situation that does not seem to be an everybody wins deal at least offensively my ex-mariner of the week is sadly ironic mike zanino i knew you were gonna say that yeah he's had a horrid start to the year two for 26 to start the year my goodness. Um, How many two for 26 stretches did he go through with us, too? I mean, that's yeah, got to be a lot. That's 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 a normal week for Mike, to be honest, yeah. and, to, and sadly. Um, but the thing of, is, no power either. Yeah, right. I mean, two well, singles. in spring, he had four dingers, um, and so you figured that he, w- he was kind of zeroing in on that phase of his career where, you know, power was um, was what he was going to be, you know. Oh, and true to form, also no walks. <laughs> yeah, yucky. Um, but on the flip side of this, Omar Narvaez is, uh, is 57th out of 63 potential catchers in framing runs. Um, 
Yeah, so that's disappointing. It, it comes it comes with a cost, and Mike Z is twelfth in that uh, in that category. Well, we knew that part was going to hold true to form, and and it looks like the other part of it's going to hold true to form too. That Narvaez can hit, Zanino can. Yeah, yeah, and it just you know it all kind of depends. If you have a lineup that uh, that can sustain, you know the the defensive and you know runs runs allowed through that regard, um, then see sometimes we're smart. Who like, cares? We totally you know? called. We totally called this like. Narvaez is going to be the superior offensive player, but Zinino is going to lap him defensively, and yeah. that's exactly what's happening. What's your? Uh, you had a hypothetical from last week that that we didn't quite get to. Okay, so I watched when I was at the game on Sunday, two Sundays ago. Yes, I watched. Uh, I got to see the shift like up close and personal, right? Like, mm-hmm. and it really started like turning the wheels in my head. Okay, so now I'm going to ask you a hypothetical about the shift. Yes. So. And that imagine this scenario for me, the insemination of this scenario, if you will. Oh God! <laughs> um, uh, you have nobody on, and nobody out, and a zero-zero count. It's a fresh inning, right? Mm-hmm. What would happen if I shifted my catcher into the infield, and I just had no one behind the plate, and I had five infielders instead of four? Why can't I do that? All right, this is interesting, and. I'm right. Speak completely out of my ass of whether this is legal or not, and whether this the the catcher has to be in a specific position. So the, obviously, the reason you wouldn't do it is because the ball could just go straight on through, and right. But if no one's on base and there's not two strikes, then yeah, what's right? the problem with that? So you're basically saying just. I mean, wouldn't the batter just have to, I don't know. This is tough. Right. I just, I think that's like the next, the next frontier is shifting your catcher out of behind home plate. Wow. Be, I, obviously the umpire wouldn't like it because he'd probably get hit with the ball every <laughs> single time, but I don't see, I don't see how it's against the rules if everyone's allowed to shift. Yeah. I mean, the, the only thing I can even think of that's even remotely close to this is uh end of game bringing your center fielder or left fielder into the infield um right when you know uh, only a fly ball is going to end know, the game yeah exactly so um, i so that's my question is like obviously players are allowed to shift wherever they want on the field if a center fielder is allowed to play second base why can't the catcher play in the infield wow i i really have nothing for you i mean I, it it might make perfect it I, it does it makes sense it just obviously once it was an 0-2 count uh you would probably have to You'd break. shift him back. Yeah. But for those, you know, if it was up to 2-2, two, two, go for it. Yeah. We got to get you uh, some, like, Pony League team, and then you're just... just I'll manage, yeah, I'll manage some. <laughs> just running some experiments little, on... Like, little leaguers. Yeah, running experiments on these 12-year-olds. It'd be uh, like those, you know, you hear football stories of football coaches all the time who only do onside kicks and stuff because they think it's, like, a, an advantage. I could I could cook up some interesting techniques in like on a little league field. I think so. Yeah, this is this is your petri dish. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's a a segment that starts to, with talking about insemination, ends with little leaguers, but not not in any weird way. <laughs> oh God. Um. So let's hand out some awards. Um. Because now you have my brain rattled heading into this. Uh. Your uh. Your Dave Sims fedora goes to. I can only imagine. That's a pretty good hypothetical, though, right? It is. No, you've you've been on point with those. Um. Your Dave Sims hypothetical does does it go to Cordy Guerin or does it go to Cordy Guerin? 
it's got to go to Corey Guerin. I mean, how 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 can it not? <laughs> I, that's I mean, it. is there any other player on the team who has been? I don't even think there's another player on the team who's been bad yet. Like anyone who we've been like, oh god, that guy's annoying. Dylan Moore, I guess, hasn't really provided yeah, anything. I guess he could, but even he's like, it's fine. Corey Guerin, what he does is just like inexcusable. Yeah, and there's been other bad bullpen guys, but he just makes it. You know, he he is kind he of makes everybody palatable. Yeah, out there. exactly. He's taking the bait for all, or taking the blow for all of them to make them look look uh, look passable. Yeah, seven strikes and thirty pitches for for Cody Guerin. It's an interesting question. Besides Dylan Moore and Corey Guerin, is there anybody who you would be like, man, that guy? I don't like him right now. Hmm. No. Yeah. No. Everyone has like performed. Yeah. I, I mean, we, we we wanted to get rid of Jay Bruce after a week, but. That uh, or after after like the Japan series, but after that he's. You want to hear a fun statistic about Jay Bruce? Uh, he likes ice cream, vanilla ice cream. Does he? I don't know. I, I'm I, talking baseball here. That well, yeah, but I. Everyone I, likes vanilla ice cream. You'd be surprised. Some people are like, get all, uh, kind of um, typecasty with vanilla ice cream. Like if you if you're like, oh, vanilla ice cream is my favorite. Like that is a serious character flaw for for people. Well, then I won't put that on my Tinder profile. <laughs> yeah, go update that. But anyway, Jay Bruce, he's hitting 185, but his WRC plus is 152, which would be like easily, easily an all-star if, if that was like the, the med. So that just goes to show you how little batting average. Fans of this podcast know that, uh, that he could accomplish such a thing by having a lot of extra base hits and a lot of walks. Right. And that's what he's been doing. And that's all that matters. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's been fun to to kind of see that play out. And that's that's just his role. He doesn't have to worry about, um, you know, getting a hit every third at bat. It's just making the most of of uh, of those at bats. Um, yeah, Joe Vieira is. I, I don't know if you follow him on Twitter, but he uh, what's he? Oh doing? yeah, he uh, yeah, he's great. He pointed he pointed out on Twitter that Cody Guerin should have been the mop up guy on Sunday. Uh, when they were up 12-2, or maybe it was 10-2 at that point. Yeah, um, yeah. And he didn't get that opportunity to just go out and pitch without any sort of lead or expectations and get his mojo back, but they, they went in a different direction. I don't, Yeah, see, I don't really like how Service has been managing the bullpen. I know every fan of every team doesn't like the way their manager manages the bullpen, but his feels especially egregious. Yeah, yeah, that was an interesting one, and, and such a, you know, again, when it becomes basic that, that you know, Joe Schmoes like us and literally Joe's uh, can uh, can pick oh, that yeah. up, pick that up. Then that's that's not a great thing. Um, let's hand out the yellow hydro. I'm giving mine to uh, to my little jar of great poupon, Daniel Vogelbach. Uh, that was awesome. He is so fun to watch because uh, when he connects, it is a just thing. It's like when Bowser connects with something in Mario Tennis. It's just like so much raw power, and his swing doesn't even look like it would generate that much, but he just does it. It's somehow. just all forearms. Yeah. Yeah. It's, he must it, be just massively built up there. Yeah, he is. Uh, he's a brick house. Uh, who you? Who's your hydro going to? I'm going Tim Laker. That's okay. That's the hitting coach. Yeah. That he's got to be uh, just um, throwing the old R word around um, in uh, in conversations in his monthly check-ins because he. Uh, the, the results speak for themselves. I mean, that what he's been able to get out of this this lineup is is real nice. Totally. And everyone in the lineup is, when they're asked about their success, a lot of these guys have been mentioning Tim Laker and his preparation. And what he does is he doesn't take a holistic approach like our past um, 
hitting coaches have like okay this is how you should hit in general Mm -hmm. what he does is he goes okay this is how this pitcher throws this is the approach that you need to take he takes a more granular approach to it which is something that's unique and I, i think is really interesting and is produced a lot of good results so far in the early going. So could your yellow hydro by proxy go to Edgar Martinez for stepping down from this position? I, I think it could be, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's uh, it's not really fair to put on Edgar, but um, I mean, I just imagine that a guy who was a professional hitter for that long would have, it, w- it would be hard. I mean, if you were that good, I don't know if you could really help people who are on the margins as well as... Yeah, it's so interesting about like, the way that you see like coaching being now and it makes sense but like you see a lot of coaches and a lot of front office guys who have had no affiliation with like professional baseball in their careers before Mm -hmm. which is and it makes sense like why would a professional baseball player be like randomly also really smart and in tune with uh like analytics and stuff like that you yeah. know you very rarely would that ever happen right and, and i guess that's not great because our our gm is one of only two him and billy bean who did play professional baseball yeah and i mean as also a skilled skilled like pedagogist you know like this yeah. uh the idea that that um teaching is like this easy act it it's totally not obviously in any regard but I mean, it's just kind of a time thing. Like if, if a guy is a Hall of Fame baseball player, he hasn't really had the time to put into just the teaching aspect of it like like uh, like someone else can. That also yeah. makes me think of who is the most successful um, athlete who is also a successful coach. And immediately Bill Russell comes to mind. Lenny I'm Wilkins. trying to think now. Huh. In there... baseball, it would probably be somebody like... Like Paul Molitor was not a great coach. Joe, Joe Torre, Lou Pinella. A lot of catchers. A lot of catchers. Yeah. Well, Service was a catcher, so I guess that's good. Yeah. Don Wakamatsu. Okay. Before we go, before <laughs> yeah. we wrap up. Yeah. No, I don't want to ever hear that name again. <laughs> before we wrap up, I have a stump Brandon for you today. Stummy. I'm two for two, kind of. This one's way too hard. This one, I don't think. I, this one, I'm just like. This one's up or like this one's chin music. You're not going to connect with this stump stump BB. Let's go. Okay. So because of, uh, Chris Davis's over 46, uh, streak, which is now tied a major league record. Can you name since the year 2000 who and wh- how many at bats was the longest hit list streak for the Mariners? Wow. How many at bats? Obviously it's not, not 42. Um, immediately Zanito comes to mind, but I feel like that's too easy. It's okay. You're actually warm. You're in the right position group. So it's a catcher. Mm-hmm. Uh, was it Yorvit Torialba? That is a good guess because I forgot about that guy <laughs> entirely. It's our old friend Miguel Olivo. That was my in next year guess. 2004. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. 32 at bats. Another guy we got from the White Sox. Yeah. To hit and not play defense very well. Well, except he couldn't hit either. <laughs> well, that was that was the uh, the upgrade on him at least. Is well, he can hit. Yeah. Because that was getting rid of Dan Wilson, right? Was to move mm-hmm. on. To, uh, yeah, and then we went to Olivo. Yeah. Huh. Good stuff. All right. Well, two for three. That's uh, we'll take that. Yeah, that one was hard. That one was unfair. I did well in the micro though. On the like, it's on this team, D Gordon. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Macro. Yeah, that was tough. But I I appreciate it on the spot. Uh, something that uh, the Jerry DePoto wouldn't have the courage to do of answer a question unprepared. That's why we uh, we have the number one rated baseball podcast, and he doesn't. 
you can't prove that otherwise. I number mean, one rated in my mind. Yeah, number number one rated in in uh, the uh, uh, east side of Seattle uh, community. That's probably not. Go. That's probably not even true. Well, it's true to me. It's my <laughs> number one rated podcast. Exactly. All right, Phil. Good stuff again. Uh, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for for treating my parents this last week. Uh, let's 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 have another happy podcast on Monday and, and uh, I'm looking forward fe- to it. Feel even weirder about how well this thing's going. How about it? God, if if it keeps going like this, we're gonna have well, we're down one to nothing already. So great in yeah. the bottom of the first, but <laughs> it'll be all right. We're seeing we'll regression win. happen before our eyes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, Phil, take it easy. All right, take care.